I'm Lucas Novak, and in this podcast, I will be talking all about partnerships, along with real-life examples, and the agreements of partnerships, along with my opinion and reviews about them. From department stores and companies, to musicians and bands, to TV channels and streaming services, there is some type of partnership that is formed to make the things that we love happen. So, partnership is a formal arrangement by two or more parties to manage and operate a business and share its profits. With partnership, there always has to be an agreement. This stuff just doesn't happen magically. There are a lot of things that need to be worked out, such as how much money will they spend to partner up with whoever or whatever, and they need to come to an agreement on whether they will accept the amount they get, they get paid, what will it allow, and what will they get out of what they're doing. However, in some partnership businesses, all partners share liabilities and profits equally, while in others, partners have limited liability. So, starting off with department stores, Sears, which we all know, is an American chain store, and it was once the largest retailer in the United States, but in 2018, it was marked the 31st largest retailer store. From 2011 to 2016, the the company lost $10 billion. So what happened then? As Sears struggled through the years, they came to a partnership agreement with Amazon in May of 2018, where you could buy stuff online and then pick it up in stores. But however, this was only available in eight cities. In August of 2018, it was made available nationwide. The response to this program was very positive, and now both Amazon and, and Sears mainly were selling popular brands and making millions of dollars to stay afloat. However, after several years of declining sales, Sears' parent company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on October 15th of 2018. As a result, they had dropped 66%. Some retail watchers say Amazon tie-up is a stark reminder of how far Sears has fallen. The partnership between Sears with Amazon was a new low, allowing customers to buy products online from an entirely different retailer and pick it up in store without having to interact with employees. However, it won't be long until this starts to get old and Sears keeps continuing to close like they currently are. There have been some thoughts if Amazon could save Sears, but it is not looking like it can. As of 2018, 142 Sears stores have closed. Sears used to be a gold standard of selling, and it's sad what it's come down to. As of 2020, there are only 65 Sears stores remaining open. The partnership has not failed, but it is just on thin ice trying to survive really bad. So... My thought of this is, I'm not really sure, because, you know, I'm back in the day, Sears was huge. But, just, you know, you have Macy's, you have JCPenney and Kohl's, and you can buy all this stuff there, and it just doesn't really make sense to be going to those stores that have been around for a long time. It's sort of like what happened with uh, Kmart, you know, Walmart and Myers, they came along and people stopped going to Kmart and Kmart is starting to have the, has having the same problems that Sears is. And I personally don't think Amazon could save Sears. 
I mean, they could pro- they're probably obviously making Sears is making some extra money with this partnership with Amazon, but nobody shops at Sears anymore, and they're just really struggling to survive. And kind of wondering when all of them are gonna be gone. Moving on to companies now, probably the company that we use for just about anything that we look up, Google, they've partnered up with many different companies, but I'm going to be only talking about three of them here. So, starting back on July 31st of 2013, Starbucks announced the selection of Google to provide the next generation of its Wi-Fi offering for its customers. Beginning in August that year, new U.S. company-operated Starbucks stores to receive up to 10 times faster network and Wi-Fi speeds. Over the next 18 months, Starbucks converted more than 7,000 United States stores to the upgraded store network and Wi-Fi experience. Customers because customers rely on the free Wi-Fi at Starbucks to study, work, connect with friends, or just relax, they want to make sure that they can access the web effortlessly and quickly, no matter what they're doing or what device they are using. The goal was to continue to provide customers with the best in-store experience possible. In addition to providing faster Wi-Fi, Starbucks and Google also started to work together to co-develop the next generation Starbucks digital network. Google has always invested in projects that help the internet grow stronger, including projects that make internet access more affordable and more widely available. Fast internet makes the time customers spend at Starbucks even more enjoyable and productive. On October 11th of 2013, it was reported that Google was essentially copying Facebook's strategies for its own ads, but the difference is that Google has many more products and many more places on the web to put ads. Facebook is serving ads mainly on its service, through, though the company could one day start to slowly expand to the web. On October 18th of 2013, Google announced a partnership with Facebook based on the way both companies generate the larger majority of their revenue ads. Google participated in FBX, Facebook's real-time bidding exchange in order to help its own marketing clients. They help clients access dozens of private and public exchanges in more than 75 countries and continue to see double-digit quarter-over-quarter growth in spend. They continue to invest significantly in their technology to help advertisers and agencies buy programmatically across all devices and formats. On December 23rd of 2019, Google partnered with Amazon and Apple to create Connected Home over IP. This was aiming to create new connectivity standard based on internet protocol or IP, managed by the Zigbee Alliance. The Connected Home over IP group is separate from existing Zigbee protocols. So, my opinion on all of this, um, it's really good how um, Google can match, can partner up with different companies. I don't really drink coffee, so 
I don't really know how it would feel to be able to have Wi-Fi at like a Starbucks and just be able to enjoy that, but I'm sure a lot of people really enjoy it and they just want to chill and just relax or study and work with the coffee and I think it's a good idea and as a matter of fact, I think there should be some sort of Wi-Fi everywhere you go because if, if anyone just wants to relax or whatever, it's good that we have Wi-Fi so we don't need to get stressed out about it and we can just enjoy what we're doing anywhere. And with Google and Facebook uh, teaming up, partnering up, I should say, to help with, um, to put ads out there, because, you know, ads is how companies and all those websites make money, I think it's pretty good, and we need that, because, you know, people want to make money, so it's good that we have those type of things. So, moving on from department stores and companies, we're moving on to musicians here. So, he was the most popular songwriter back in the 80s from the Jackson 5 to going solo. Superstar Michael Jackson, otherwise known as the King of Pop, signed a huge contract deal with Sony on March 21st, 1991 that guaranteed him an unprecedented share of the profits from his next six albums, his own record labor, a role in developing video software products, and a shot at movie stardom. If he continues to sell records like he has in the past, he will earn more money than any other person in the history of the record business. So, Michael Jackson, he was a very talented superstar and great at dancing and singing, but there was quite some controversy about him selling records and everything. Michael Jackson, who was 32 at the time, back in 1991, could receive more than $120 million per album if sales match the $40 million plus level of his 80s album, Thriller, which was huge back in the 80s. It's the highest selling record and not counting the Eagles' Greatest Hits album because, quite frankly, Greatest Hits albums should not count. And Michael Jackson's Thriller album was huge around that time. So, around the time in 1991, two sources close to the talk said he is guaranteed an advance payment of $5 million per record plus a 25% royalty from each album based on retail sales. Sony said it expects to realize $1 billion in revenue from the partnership, but some financial, some financial people called the Jackson deal extravagant. 
they better hope he stays popular. These kind of deals are great for the artists involved, they, but they're a real bonanza. But a label runs the risk that these huge agreements will distract them from the real business of record companies. The future was unknown. In addition, Jackson was paid a one-time $4 million fee, plus $1 million a year to run Nation Records, the record label created under the deal. Sources said Sony also agreed to put up $2 million a year in administration costs. Unlike some acts, Jackson remained on Sony Epic Records label. So, this was kind of... This was kind of a huge deal for him, to sign a huge contract and partner up with Sony. That was huge. But, sadly, this agreement didn't really work out. This contract didn't really go as well planned, because the, by the time in the, by the 90s, Michael Jackson wasn't selling records like he was in the 80s, and he wasn't making the income that he needed, so he wasn't making the money he was expected, or not expected, but hoping for. Although, companies had to hope that he had he was going to stay popular, but he didn't, because by the 90s, at the time, Michael, in the 90s, by then, people were just like, eh, Michael Jackson, whatever. So, what did he do to make the income that he needed? He had to go out on the road and tour. And part of the reason why he signed this deal is because back in 1988 when he did the Bad Tour um, to promote his album Bad, that was planning to be his last album. No, I'm sorry, not his last album, his last tour. He wasn't gonna tour after the Bad Tour. Why did he do it? it was because he wanted to sell more records of Bad than Thriller, but there was no way that was going to happen. So after the Bad Tour, he said he was going to focus more on music videos and albums. And then part of it was that he signed this contract to help him make the income that he was going to need. But like I said, he wasn't making any income, so the best way to make money was he had to go back out on the road and tour, in which he did later that year, I think it was the next year, for 1991 would have been his Dangerous album. So, yeah, he had to go do the Dangerous tour, which we know he wasn't planning for. So, it's kind of weird, but that's Michael Jackson signing the contract with Sony. Moving, we're, so we're going to keep talking about musicians and artists. So, it's easy to think, oh, well, they're a kid's band, so what does it really matter? They're like the biggest kid's band that have lasted as long as they have. The Australian children's group, which, have, which are now popular worldwide, The Wiggles, on September 6th of 2016, The Wiggles signed a contract with ABZ with ABC, not ABZ, because there's no such thing. On September 6th of 2016, 
ABC Commercial announced it has reached an exclusive global license agreement with Australian children's entertainment group The Wiggles. That for the first time gives the commercial arm of the public broadcaster worldwide distrib- just distribution rights to the group's entire catalog of music, audiobooks, television, and video productions. The newly signed multi-million dollar five-year license deal includes both future releases and back catalog content, giving ABC Commercial the global rights to distribute The Wiggles' complete collection of hits across a range of different platforms, including CD, DVD, electronic sell-through, transactional video on demand, subscription video on demand, mobile, and more. The agreement also gave ABC Commercial the right to distribute both existing and future Wiggles television series to international broadcasters, including those based in the United States and Canada, throughout the life of the contract. Back in 1991, the Wiggles originally signed with ABC Commercial for the release of their self-titled first album, distributed through the broadcaster's ABC music label. The ABC has since remained and the award-winning group's local distributor selling well in excess of 8 million Wiggles DVDs and almost 2 million CDs in Australia, alone during that time. Globally, the group has sold over 23 million DVDs, 2 million albums, and 8 million books. That's just crazy, because... My, my opinion about that is, you, I know a lot of people think, well, they're just a kids group and they're an exception, like, okay, but do you know how many kids groups, how many kids bands are, that form are out there and they only last like five to ten years? Because the Wiggles, for the, the popularity that they have, they must have, because they just have a lot of good people working with them to like get their merchandise and stuff out there and for them to if because if they first if they first started back in 1991 then that means it's been 29 years for them as of 2021 and next year is going to be 30 that's just crazy to think i think they've just lasted as long as they have is because kids they understand like what they're talking about and like because I used to watch the Wiggles when I was younger and I loved them like they were awesome and I think from what I can remember they would like they like interact and the kids feel like they're being talked to and interacted with and I just think that with also with how ABC is is um distributing all their merchandise around the world is definitely a big help because I'm sure almost any toy store you were to go to, you could find something Wiggles related. Um, there's they got some, they had some pretty catchy songs. Um, when they first started, and they still do. Um, in case you guys don't know who the Wiggles are. Salad, yummy, yummy. Salad, yummy, yummy, fruit salad, yummy, 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 fruit salad. 
I have to laugh because that brings back childhood memories for me from when I used to, because I used to watch them all the time when I was younger. But they've been, I think they've also realized how lucky they are to have, to be around for 30 years or almost 30 years now. And they're just very successful. So we're going to be moving on now to TV channels and uh, streaming services. So still talking about uh, kid related. So a channel that I used to watch when I was younger was Sprout or the full name PBS Kids Sprout when there was a partnership there between PBS and Sprout, which I'm about to tell you all about. On October 20th of 2004, PBS announced that it had entered into a joint partnership with cable provider Comcast and production companies Hit Entertainment and Sesame Workshop to launch a then-unnamed subscription-based channel aimed at preschool children. On April 4th, 2005, Comcast announced that the network would be known as PBS Kids Sprout. So, after then... For years, it was known as PBS Kids Sprout. In December of 2012, Sesame Workshop sold its interest in Sprout to NBC Universal, which in turn later acquired Apex and PBS's shares in the network on March 19, 2013, and November 13, 2013, respectively. Therefore, giving Comcast full ownership. Its operations were then merged into its NBC Universal Cable Entertainment Group subsidiary as a result of Comcast earning full ownership of the brand PBS. Therefore, the PBS Kids brand was dropped from the network's name, leaving the network as simply Sprout. This also affected um, PBS Kids shows that were airing on the Sprout channel they removed them because they weren't part because PBS Kids was not partnership with Sprout anymore. But for them to last for for them to partner up and last for eight years, PBS Kids and Sprout to last as a partnership for eight years, that's very impressive and this because I used to watch Sprout when I was younger. That was a very successful channel. And they just had many kids were viewing and watching shows on there. And they were just very successful making a lot of income. But for whatever reason, they then decided to sell the PBS Kids brand and it was simply dropped as Sprout and that dropped a lot of shows from the channel. You know, because they were teamed up, they were partnered up together. And, but it just ended up dropping and not working out. But I think it was, from what I, what I can remember as a child, I think it it was a pretty good interactive um channel so 
that's what I'd have to say about it. Um, it was a good partnership. I really don't, can't really think of what to say about that. So, we're moving on now to what has become pretty much TV this today for the past few years is streaming services. You know, because there, there's so many streaming services out there, but two of them, there's two that I'll be talking about, and I think they are the most, they're probably the most successful. So, the most popular one that we all know is Netflix. So we all know so much comes and goes on Netflix. It is one of the most popular streaming services, but have, but there's a lot of partnership and licensing reasons that Netflix has to work with in order to be able to have these shows and movies on their streaming service. <clears throat> to keep growing its subscriber base, Netflix is constantly no- negotiating new licensing deals with TV shows, networks, and film producers, or investing in its own content production. Licensing content involves obtaining rights from the owners of a TV show or movie to stream. Netflix Netflix works with content providers, distributors, producers, and creators to acquire licensing for TV shows and movies to stream. When content is not available to stream, it can be that the streaming rights are not available to purchase from the content provider. Netflix Netflix buys shows at a rate of the cost of production, plus about 30% of production costs, but it retains most of its future licensing rights. This is different from how networks typically license shows, which often only covers 60-70% to of production. And although they work hard to keep the content people want to see, they acquire licensing rights for TV shows and movies for a certain period of time. Not all those titles do. If a TV show or movie we like is leaving, it indicates that the licensing agreement with the content provided is up. And we all know that... We know that Netflix has some original TV shows that normally you can only watch it on there and it won't air on any channel although they do end up releasing it on DVD a few months or weeks later but Netflix uses the term original to present movies and series that are exclusive to its platform and those that are combined from other studios after first being made available elsewhere about 85% of all new spending on content goes toward original programming Netflix makes its money from their, from people who subscribe, like myself. They do not make any money from their original series. So, Netflix is... Netflix has come a long way, and obviously, yes, things are coming and going all the time. It's, it's not really much of a... So... I could get why maybe some people probably think this it's not really much of a partnership and it's really just licensing deals but to a point it sort of is a partnership because the company 
is agreeing with Netflix to let them, um, let people be able to stream these movies and shows on their platform. And Netflix has come, Netflix has changed so much in like the past 10 years. I remember when I first started watching it, the kid, I loved the, I loved the kids uh, selection back when Netflix first started. I don't know when it did, but around the time when I started watching it, probably about 10 years ago, there was Blue's Clues, there was Backyardigans, there was Wonder Pets, and so some Nick Jr. shows, so that's probably a, there's pro- there was probably a agreement there with Nick Jr. and Netflix at the time back in the day. But I think Netflix does a good job with making sure they have a decent amount of movies and shows provided, whether it's their originals or if they had to make a deal and have a partnership with a different company. I think that Netflix does a good job. And I don't really watch a lot of Netflix, but for what it is, I really like it. So moving on now, moving on now to what is probably become one of, I don't know if you would call it this, but it's become a really, a really popular streaming service. And in fact, next year, it's going to mark a year that, it, that it's launched, um, Disney Plus. So we know Disney Plus is not just Disney movies, but you know, they have Fox shows and they have all the Star Wars and National Geographic, which, um, it's kind of weird if you think about it, because back in March of 2020, I'm sorry, March 20th of 2019, which was a Wednesday, there was an acquisition for Disney. They closed its $71 billion acquisition of Fox's entertainment assets more than a year after the mega merger was proposed. Disney gets far-ranging properties ranging from Fox's film studios to its TV productions such as The Simpsons and networks including National Geographic. The acquisition comes as Disney planned to launch its streaming service Disney Plus later that year, which it did. It was revealed that the reason why Disney bought Fox is because of its values it adds to the streaming service. However, this bidding and the partnership with Fox would have never have happened if Disney Plus was not a thing. Disney was then able to expand its opportunities and partnerships with Fox, though theme parks have historically been able to reach its licensing deals with rival studios. So another thing that they bought, um, Disney bought, was the Star Wars, which I was like, what is Star Wars doing on Disney at the time when I first heard about this? The way that Disney bought Star Wars was the creator George Lucas said he was considering retirement and planned to sell the company as well as the other Star Wars franchise. On October 30th of 2012, Disney announced a deal to acquire Lucasfilm, 
for $4 billion, with approximately half in cash and half in shares of Disney stock. So I kind of think this is this is a little crazy because when I first, you know, when we got Disney Plus, and obviously they keep adding things as time goes on, but at the time I was just like, what is, what are the Simpsons doing on Disney Plus along with National Geographic shows and what was the other? There was another one. Oh, um. America's Funniest Home Videos, like, this is weird, um, and then Star Wars being on Disney+, Plus. although I have heard that the Star Wars are, like, the best remastered and colored on Disney+, Plus. those are, like, the best versions that they have, that they've ever made, so I've heard good reviews about it, what I personally think of Disney Plus, I think it's all right for what it is, but the question is, okay, you got all these Disney movies and they're classic and some of them might, you, you might remember from childhood, but you know, they probably, Disney would probably never lose the rights to it, but you never know, like, okay, what's gonna happen if Disney if Disney loses the rights to the Fox shows along with the Star Wars because the Fox the Fox shows or mainly the Simpsons and the Star Wars those have also played a huge role in the Disney Plus streaming service and I just I just thought it was a little weird at the time but although like it was revealed Disney bought Fox because of its values it adds to what was going to be named Disney Plus, the new streaming service at the time, which was only about a year ago. <laughs> but I personally think Disney Plus is okay. I'm not I don't I don't really I don't really watch a lot of TV, so that's why I sometimes draw a blank when thinking of an opinion for all this, but I've heard good reviews about Disney Plus and Netflix, and like over the past 11 months, Disney Plus has become extremely popular, and I have to give, I mean, I, I'd have to give Disney Plus a credit for um, having The Simpsons on, because every now and then I do like that show, so, I think it's, I think it's a good streaming service, and The Simpsons, you know, that show has been on since, like, 1989, I think, Good old Simpsons, but 
so the question with partnership is, including this whole Disney Plus, including Disney buying Fox and uh, the Star Wars, like, how are they? How are they not gonna fail? I don't think I didn't. I don't think they'd ever lose the right to those to Fox and Star Wars. As long, really, as long as they're making income, the income that they need, which I know for a fact that they are, streaming, I gotta say, streaming services have definitely been making the income that they need, especially because this year has been really weird when we went into a lockdown, quarantine. So streaming services have definitely made income including Disney Plus. So I personally don't think that Disney Plus um, is gonna fail, per se. Because, you know, like, and I'd say it's especially good for, you know, a younger kid. All the classic Disney shows on there. So I say they got a good future ahead of them. Which leads me to my final thing to talk about is how do partnerships fail per se so reasons why partnerships could fail is that they don't define their vision and reason for existence beyond simply being a vehicle to make money as a consequence people often join partnerships for financial reasons but leave because of values career or life goal misalignment They don't develop effective decision-making processes. Assertive partners will do what they think needs to be done, and the less assertive will resent those decisions and actions because they weren't consulted. The upshot is that frequently, the partners go in opposing directions that meet their own needs, but not the strategic needs and direction of the partnership. The financial structure is generally geared toward rewarding those who take care of themselves above the common good. Many partnership compensation structures encourage fiefdom building, not teamwork. So, ways that we could create effective partnerships is to develop a vision for the company that people must opt in to before joining. Like, an example would be, um, I'm sure Disney had to, Disney Plus, they had to think of the vision for their streaming service and what it, what, what was it gonna be like, and obviously they bought Fox and the Star Wars. Another reason is to be clear about your values and only bring on partners who conquer and develop a clear decision-making process, which I think this is, these are some really good tips, is because to create a partnership, you really do need to think it through. Because, okay, I mean, because obviously you might not last forever. Obviously, you've been, if you lasted for a very long time, then you're very successful, then the company and partnership must be very successful and they should feel grateful about that. 
And you really need to think it through. And to develop a partnership and whatever it might be, sometimes it does take time and it doesn't just all happen like a lot of things in life. So it's kind of weird to realize that this stuff basically occurs with us or happens in everyday life. So it's something to really think about and realize from department stores to companies like Google, um, they've been around for, I don't know how long they've been around, but they're very successful because just pretty much everything that we've looked up is always on Google. As, an, as a matter of fact, Google, I'm looking up something up on Google right now saying when it was launched and it was launched on September 4th of 1998 so it's just crazy about partnerships and how some can seem like they've been around forever and some not but I think the lesson learned for people if they ever were to try to create a partnership is that really think it through this doesn't just all happen magically and think it through doesn't happen magically and it takes time thank you guys for listening i'm lucas novak